0: All right. Good morning. Uh, Good morning here and live. We're glad you're here. And uh, we're welcoming Amped, Blend, Roan County, and Bearden. Welcome to you guys. And uh, you can go ahead and we're going to start in Matthew. You can turn to Matthew chapter one. That's where we're going to be. You may have uh, be wondering, uh, so far this year, we were in Ephesians, 12 weeks in Ephesians. Thanks for hanging with us. For 12 weeks through that book, many of you have been asking, what next? Man, we're not even done with the book. You're like, what's next? Where are we going next? Where are we going next? And uh, if, you, if you already got an Exodus journal, you know we're going to Exodus next. And so that is where we're headed. We want you to go ahead and check this out. All right, if you didn't grab your journal, grab your journal. I'm not sure it's going to live up to the hype of the video, but this is where we're going. All right, so grab Exodus Journal. We're going to be there for... a long time. Actually, we're going to be there for seven weeks. We're going to do something different over the summer. We're going to come back to the book of Exodus, and we're going to be there a long time. So with that, um, we're, we're going to jump in this weekend. Traditionally, this is called Palm Sunday. It's the weekend before Easter. Many of you grew up in that tradition where you're like, okay, it's Palm Sunday, so let's break out the palm leaves and let's do the thing. And so what we're going to take a look at this weekend is... Uh, the, the, what was the song that they were singing as Jesus entered the city? And, uh, as we turn to this, we, we need to remind ourselves of what was going on at the scene. And so in Matthew chapter 21, here's what's going on. Uh, Jesus has been traveling. He's now uh, come through Jericho. And Jericho is about 15 miles east, uh, but downhill from Jerusalem, And it's kind of like an oasis town that you would get restocked, refueled, and then you'd begin. Many of you have heard of the road to Jericho, except if you've actually been on that road. It's not much of a road. It's a trail, Uh, many places just a single file trail, that goes uphill, some 3,000 feet uphill into the city. And that's why no matter what direction you come from, you go up to Jerusalem. Okay? Because they don't think like we think. We think our orientation is what's up. North is up because it's a map. Their orientation is east. Why east? That's where the sun comes up. And so we just have to embrace that. Uh, people who authored the Bible don't or didn't think like we think. That's a novel idea, right? Wow, they think different than us. And so there, there, Jesus has come up, and now he's approaching the city And as he prepares to enter the city, here's what it says in in Matthew chapter 1, 21, sorry, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives. Okay, this is just outside the city. And when it says Mount of Olives, think ridgeline, okay, not a mountain, uh, but you, if those of you who are taking the trip there shortly, you're going to be disappointed. Not really a mountain. It's a ridgeline, and it's a ridgeline that sits just opposite of the old city of Jerusalem. And, and so they're just approaching this ridgeline, and Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey uh, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, and the prophet that he's referring to is Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter nine, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So what do they do? They do it, and they bring back, in Matthew's account, they bring back a donkey and a colt, And uh, they throw their cloaks over them. Jesus, it says, rides them right into the city. And it says this in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They're shouting, and they're shouting a song. And that song that they're shouting is... Psalm 118, and so every time I read this passage, when I, when I came to the end of it this week, man, every time, that I, I've shared with you before, I like musicals, okay? That's my guilty pleasure. There's a couple musicals I listen to. One's a movie, uh, one's a Broadway show, and it's, it's a super popular, no, no surprise to many of you, that it's Hamilton. In fact, I had someone uh, one weekend, they were in the lobby, and they're asking me, like, I've been waiting for weeks to ask you, what is the musical that you were talking about? I said, I don't know. I don't remember. I just get up and say stuff, and I don't remember... <laughs> I don't remember what I was talking about, but it was probably Hamilton. For me, it's probably Hamilton. And, and uh, it, it, it was likely in this week, all that comes to mind is a, is a lyric from Hamilton. Who's this guy, right? Who's this kid? What's he going to do? I mean, what's going to happen? And the answer is, this is the prophet, the one from Galilee, and Galilee is a region in northern Israel. The one from Galilee and Nazareth is a, a small village in that region, the Galilee region. That one, the prophet that's from there. And they're singing this song that, that's known as, for us, Psalm 118. Now, for me, uh, for years, I've, I've struggled with, what do we do with psalms? Some of them, it's really clear. Like, I can get it. Um, as, I, as I read through the psalms, I, I can understand what's going on. But for some of the psalms, I come to them and I'm like, what in the world is the author of this psalm talking about? At times, they seem schizophrenic. It's like they're talking about one thing, and then the voice changes, and they're talking about something else, and who are they having the conversation with, and what's this really all about? And that's because we don't think like Hebrew people. Shocking again, I know. These are ancient lyrics to Hebrew poetry that have been translated for us into English. Do you think there might be something lost in translation? Not just do I not speak Hebrew, it's not just going from Hebrew to English, now we have thousands of years of different mindset and different thinking, and so it it requires that we make some investment in understanding even what's going on in what many people would say is their favorite book of the Bible. Jesus is quoting the Psalms all the time. And so it's important when we come to a song like Psalm 118 that's quoted in what's likely a very familiar passage that we would take the time and say, why are they singing that song? Why Psalm 118? And so Psalm 118 is the final song in what's called the Egyptian Hallel. The Egyptian Hallel, it just means um, the the songs, uh, the praise songs that are remembering the time that the children of Israel were, were delivered out of Egypt into the wilderness where God acted on their behalf and and they're getting ready to celebrate that time in something called Passover. You may have heard of that before. And and during Passover, it was an annual festival where where God called the children of Israel to remember his deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt, that, that he was the God who saves. And so as they were preparing For Passover, they would sing Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, this group of songs called the Egyptian praise songs. And as they would sing them, they would remember what God has done. And so in this song in particular, and in the picture that Matthew presents, that this is a coronation of a king. That's the picture he wants to get. And and all of Matthew's gospel, he's pointing towards the aspect of Jesus as king. Every one of the Gospels writes with a picture in mind. There's an audience in mind, and they're writing with a point. It's not just, oh, I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus. They're telling you the story of Jesus with a point. And Matthew's Gospel wants you to know that you know that Jesus is king. He's the promised king, the the future son of David that God had promised has become a man, right? God become a man in Jesus. That future king is Jesus. And so this week, as, as we look forward to Easter, as we look at Psalm 118, here's the thing for us to remember. Jesus' victory reminds us, uh, reminds us of his strength in our weakness. If, you, if, if you've been around Two Rivers for a little bit, right, if you went through Ephesians with us, you know that last weekend we culminated talking about living from a place of spiritual strength. That's how Paul ends that letter. And so Mark talked about last week, how do we do that? How do we live from a place of spiritual strength? That's the emphasis. As he comes to the end of that letter, he emphasizes that we would stand, we would stand, we would stand by how we're putting on the armor and, 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 and acknowledging that there's a spiritual realm and fighting in the spiritual realm. Yeah, that's the call on all of us, that we would stand strong. And this week, we're talking about standing strong by how? Recognizing our weakness. How do we stand strong? We know we're weak. We know we're weak. We know we can't do it. But the good news is we know the one who can. You see, Jesus is our strength, and this means that as followers of Jesus, Psalm 118 is our victory song. And so our hope for you this week is that you'll begin to be able to read Psalm 118 with new eyes, with with a fresh understanding, and it would be a huge encouragement for you as you walk through this week in preparation for Easter, as we remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, That, that this would remind us of this great truth, that Jesus is our victory, Jesus has won. We have life in Jesus' name, and he is our strength. So as we jump into, now you can turn over to Psalm 118, and I know that's a really long introduction to get us to where we want to go, but as we, as we go through this, there's something else that I want to set the stage on. If you look in the front of your, of your Bible, if you have uh, an English Standard Version, that if you look in the front, uh, the, the uh, translators of the version, and, and pretty much every Bible translation has the same or similar kind of thing, they describe when they, there's certain translation decisions that they have to make. And in particular, there's a section in there that talks about when they come to the divine name of God when they come to the divine name of God, how they are going to say that name in English. And the the ESV has said that when we see the divine name of God, we're going to represent that with the Lord, and they're going to do it in small caps. So every time you come across the Lord in small caps, it's going to be Yahweh, which Yahweh is God's personal name. And if you did the Live It Out, in our last series, we did a, a, a Bible project. We watched videos on the the spiritual beings. And in the, one of those videos, it talked about this word, the Hebrew word, Elohim. And that when we think of that word, and you may have heard that word before, and you're like, Elohim, it means God. But it doesn't mean God in the sense of big G God. It means God's, all the spiritual beings, the spiritual beings, angels, demons, God himself, are all referred to as Elohim. I know that may be the first time you've heard that if you didn't watch that series. All of them are called Elohim. And so the only way a Bible translator knows to to put the big G God in your Bible is by context. Because that is not, God's name is not God. Okay? Letting you know a little secret. That's not his name. That's a category. That's what he is. He's a spiritual being. He's the ultimate spiritual being. He's the spiritual being who created every other spiritual being. But his name isn't God. His name is Yahweh. That's his personal name. And then in the New Testament, he becomes a man. And he becomes known as Yahweh is salvation. And we say Jesus. Okay? So as we go through this psalm, what I'm going to do is every time it comes to God's personal name, I'm going to use his personal name. Because saying the Lord has become like saying God. It's, it's just very impersonal. It just, we, just don't, we just put it in categories. It sounds like, well, you know, the Lord. It, it sounds very religious. It doesn't sound like I, I, I'm calling God by his name. And, and this, God wants us to know that, that he's a very personal God, and this is a very personal song. And so we're going to read Psalm 118, and we're going to read the whole thing, and it's really long, okay? So here we go. We're gonna, it's it's going to take us a bit, okay? Just buckle in, get, get set, and we're going to read this whole song. Before we do, there's one thing I forgot to, to mention. Okay, grab your bulletin and look on the back of your bulletin, and you'll see the, the principles. And we're going to move through these three principles pretty fast. But outside each of them is, is a group of, of verses. And as you go back through it this week, we're, we're going to encourage you to, to diagram this out. And so it, this is something called a chiastic structure, and it just means it's an X-shaped structure that points to the middle of the song. And, and so the, the beginning and the end form a frame, and then the middle and the middle, or the, the end of the middle like form a frame, all pointing us towards the middle of the song. So we're going to talk about that in a minute, but I just want to set the stage for you as we sing this song by me reading it. Okay, here we go. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the lo- uh, Yahweh say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on Yahweh. Yahweh answered me and set me free. Yahweh is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Yahweh is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in Yahweh than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. They surround me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of Yahweh, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but Yahweh helped me. Yahweh is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. The right hand of Yahweh exalts. The right hand of Yahweh does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of Yahweh. Yahweh has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to Yahweh. This is the gate of Yahweh. The righteous shall enter, it, enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is Yahweh's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that Yahweh has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, Yahweh. Yahweh, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We bless you from the house of Yahweh. Yahweh is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Songs are powerful, and songs help us remember. i shared with you before, my, my, my wife is a math teacher, and um, she actually gives uh, really uh, stupid little songs to her <laughs> To her students so they can remember stuff. But it's amazing because I now have a daughter who's in college, and when she wants to remember math processes that I forgot a long time ago, she just sings the little song in her head, and it helps her remember how to do math stuff. I don't get it but it works. Why? Songs are powerful. Songs help us remember. Songs tell a story, and that's true for the children of Israel. And for us, it's really important that we would remember something that I've already said, and that is Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. The God of the Old Testament, the covenant God of Israel, became a man, and his name is Jesus. The word is incarnate. He became a man. And so as we're singing this song, as the, as the children of Israel see Jesus coming and, and they begin to sing this Passover song, they had a, an understanding at a certain level. They, they really believed that, that this was a messianic guy. That in other words, that this was their future king. They, they believed that he, had become, he was the one that the scriptures had written about, that he was from the, the line of David, that he would be... A, a political figure. And the, why do I say that? And it has everything to do with the fact that what John says, that Matthew talks about these branches being spread out before him. Um, John's gospel specifically says they were palm branches. That's actually a, a political symbol. And that political symbol was used in a revolt. And uh, somebody, somebody by the name of Judas Maccabeus, it, he, he had led the 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 Jewish people in a revolt and so they're actually a symbol of of their Jewishness okay and so they're expecting that this would be a political revolt this is the king this is the prophet and he's going to lead us they had no idea what was actually going to happen and the song that they were singing about Yahweh's salvation was in the flesh right in front of them it's so cool that we get to look back on this and go, wow, God knit that thing in an amazing kind of way. And as we study the book of Exodus over a period of time, we're gonna see an incredible story that links together. There's a reason that we're going to Exodus. And it's because that we would really understand the story of God. And to really understand the story of God, we have to understand the fact that Jesus just doesn't show up on the scene in the New Testament. In fact, there's some Bible teachers out there right now and today, they emphasize, like, we just need to emphasize the Gospels. If somebody says, you just need to emphasize the Gospels, I want to encourage you, okay? You may have followed that Bible teacher for a long time. I want to encourage you, turn them off. Turn it off. Because how do you emphasize the Jesus of the Gospel without talking about God's story at large and the fact that the God of the Old Testament, known by his personal name, Yahweh, became a man, you're only giving people part of the story. And so it's important that we would not understand all of God's story. Now, as we walk through this week, it's really important. God set times and seasons in life that, that we wouldn't just run out 100% all the time, just running full bore 100% all the time. He gave the children of Israel times and seasons in their life to remember who he is, and he's given us the same kind of gift. We go through Christmas, what? To remember who God is. We go through Easter, what? To remember who God is. The fact that we can celebrate the, the, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we would take an intentional season of life. For us, they call it Holy Week. It just means a week that's set apart in order that we would intentionally remember. Because it's required that we would intentionally remember. What do we have to remember? We have to know the truth and then live the truth. That's what God has called us to do and in this song what we see is this that God is good and can be trusted God is good and can be trusted While many of us would intellectually say sure. I believe that experientially. We might say I'm not so sure in my experience I have doubted the goodness of God with my mouth I would say, oh, yeah, God's good. All the time, God's good. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in my experience, all of a sudden, doubt creeps in. When life gets hard, we begin to ask questions like, is God really good? Can God be trusted? This is a question that's as old as humanity. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent said to the woman, as she says, hey, if we eat of that tree, we're going to die. He says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The implication is God's holding out on you. God's not good. You can't trust him. God can't be trusted. As we read through a psalm like Psalm 118, we have to remind ourselves with an intentional kind of way. We have to not believe the lie. We, we have to intentionally choose to don't believe the lie. Instead, what? Know that God can be trusted. Even when my heart says it's not true, I have to remind my heart with my head that that is true. I have a feeling, believe it or not, I have one, and sometimes that feeling says God can't be trusted. And I have to take it and go, okay, wait, how do I bring it back? How do I bring it back to what is true? Because circumstances in life are a liar. Circumstances in life are a liar. They can, they can present in such a way that would say God isn't good. And when that happens, I have to remind myself of what is true. God is good because of one word, one name. His name is Jesus. Okay, that's true. If, if we believe in Jesus, there's, no, there's nothing else we need to know that God is good besides the person work of Jesus. That's it. One thing, Jesus. He's fully proof that God is trustworthy and trustable. We have to intentionally remind ourselves that that's true. When life flips upside down, I have to remind myself that, that it's not based on circumstances that God is good. It's not based on whether or not my life is going the way I planned, that God is good. And Psalm 118 reminds us... It, this whole song is, is framed that we would remind ourselves that God is good and can be trusted. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, I'll, I'll give thanks. And, and as you pray that, oh, give thanks to Jesus, right? Oh, give t- thanks to Jesus for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In the great times, in the, the really hard times, he's still with me every step of the way. Man, this week, I I know people going through some really tough stuff, and I'm not talking about the stuff that made national news. I'm not talking about the the really hard stuff of being a Christian school and having somebody walk in and decide that today was the day. Today was the day to take the life of another person. I'm not talking about even the the storms that don't make any sense, that, that there's these violent storms in the world in which we live, in a world in which God created that caused death and destruction, Far more personal than that in my world. A family friend who got really terrible news. Really terrible news this week. Doesn't make any sense. He's healthy. He he does all the stuff to stay healthy. Surely not cancer. I mean, come on. He's healthy. Or... Another friend of mine who's, who's with his dad right now, with his dad, as his dad uh, makes the transition um, from, from living in this world to, to spending eternity with Jesus, right? Like, those are really tough moments. And yet, okay, my, my friend, my, my, best, my best friend, I would say that, my best friend just, just had his second grandbaby yesterday. That's incredible. And a daughter who never thought she was going to have kids. Amazing. So cool. These two extremes going on in the world simultaneously. That's life. That's life in a world that's been broken by sin. That's, that's not indicative in either sense of God's goodness. It's the world in which we live. God is good despite circumstances. You see, life brings trouble, but Jesus is victorious. He is victorious. Okay, we're gonna talk about next week, right? His resurrection proves that he is victorious. He's been victorious, and he will be victorious in the future. We spent all last year, uh, that fall last year, going through Revelation, culminating, talking about living with with our eyes on forever. And guess what we always have to remind ourselves? We have to live with our eyes on forever, (laughs) We have, to, we have to go back, right? Like, we have to go back and remind ourselves hey, yeah, 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 not, we can't leave that one behind. If I live with my eye on forever, all of a sudden, things in life that seem to be so confusing start to make more sense. Life brings t- trouble, but Jesus is victorious. And it's in our weakness that we discover just how strong Jesus is. Paul wrote this to the, the church in Rome that it's the spirit that helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Mark talked about that last week. Sometimes like we don't even know what to say, and it's just, Jesus, help me. That's it. That's all we can get out. And, and we trust that, that it's the Spirit who makes intercession on our behalf. We can just throw, our feet, or, or throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and just say, I, I don't even know what to pray. God, help me. That's it. That's all we can get out. God helped the children of Israel when they were completely helpless and hopeless, and God helps us in the midst of our helplessness and hopelessness. So this is interesting to me. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth, and it's likely, if you've been a follower of Christ for a while, it's likely that you've heard this. It's likely that you've heard Paul talk about his thorn in the flesh. Have you heard this? Go ahead and yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. talk about the thorn in the flesh. Absolutely. And he asked three times and God didn't take it away. Well, I want to expand that out a little bit because even as familiar as we are uh, uh, with that passage, we, we maybe haven't noticed before the spiritual thing that was actually going on. So here's expanded out just a little bit. This is interesting to me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. So Paul, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, says that God has given them, like he's shown him a bunch of stuff. So to keep him from becoming conceited, it says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Twice. God has given him incredible revelation and twice he frames that thing and the reason that God has given me this is so that I would not think I'm pretty awesome to keep me from becoming conceited. So what does he do? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Hopefully, as we went through the last series, as we, as we went through the book of Ephesians, you're starting to read scripture with, with a spiritual realm kind of eyes. Did you catch that? that? That he's talking about a messenger. What? A messenger of Satan to harass me. That there's a spiritual realm aspect. He acknowledges it throughout the New Testament. I really hope that you will start to read your New Testament with eyes that are, that are getting open going, ooh, there's something more going on there. It wasn't just that he had some kind of physical um, malady going on in his world. It's not just that he had some kind of, that's what, what commentators would want to do. They want to take out the spiritual aspect of it and just be like, oh, it was just, you know, he had some kind of sickness that he had to maintain. No! There was some kind of spiritual harassment, and, and, and he cried out, stop it, three times. And Jesus says, nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Because if I take that away, you're going to lose your humility, Paul. That's far different than we think of it. And so what we have to do is we have to remind ourselves as we go through Psalm 118 this week is to remind ourselves that this is our victory song and this is what Jesus has done. And Jesus is our strength. This is our story that that when I am weak, Jesus is strong. And verse 13 reminds us that, that when we're falling, Jesus helps. And verse 14 reminds us that Jesus is our strength That Jesus is our salvation, this song points us to the fact that the God of the Bible demonstrates his love to us in real and tangible ways, mostly by giving us new life in Christ. The structure points us towards verses 15 and 16. Let's say this, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly Immediately, this would have brought to mind to the children of Israel, Exodus 15, 6, that says, your right hand, Yahweh, O, o Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. It's talking about that the, the covenant God of Israel is the God who acts. He's not far off. He's God who's active in our world. And they would have been looking forward to their, their, their new exodus as they remember the, the, the days gone by. Now, we're going to talk about in exodus that, that there's no way that we can really know exactly the dating of the exodus. It's somewhere in the 14 or 1200s. We're going to give you two dates, somewhere in the 1400s or in the 1200s, depending on how people view it. That this happened. So, this is some 1,200 years before, 1,400 years before. They're still singing the song of what God did 1,200 or 1,400 years before. We have a hard time singing a song about what happened last year. They're still singing about the God who delivered their forefathers 1,200 or 1,400 years before. And we're still singing that song today. That, that, that what it points us towards is this next exodus that we see Jesus is the one who delivers. It's what Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah chapter 11, where he wrote that in that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. That's the God that... that, that Acts, the God who is going to restore, the God who delivered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's our story. And so we talked about uh, whether or not we see God as good, God as kind, that we see his steadfast love is, isn't based upon our circumstances. So this has been long enough that I'm gonna share this story with you. Long enough ago, I came here like oh, 12 years ago or something like that, um, and at that time, it was a really terrible time for me to sell my house in the place that I had moved from Terrible time for me to sell my house. In fact, I didn't actually sell my house for a little bit. I sold it, and then um, that didn't really work out. And so uh, I got the treat. Many of you have got to experience this maybe in your past, where you got to uh, move somewhere new, pay rent, and pay a mortgage payment and the old house. And that was a real blessing from Jesus. (laughs) It was amazing. This is great. So the house finally sold. That's awesome. I'm glad to be done with it. Except um, that was after they, they came out and they wanted to make sure that banks were really hard on their appraisals. Another treat from Jesus. Right? If you've never had to take a check to closing to pay someone to buy your house from you, you haven't lived yet. That was awesome. That was great. Shortly thereafter, there's another another pastor by the name of Mark Hoffman shows up here on staff. And his house didn't even really go on the market, sold in a day, over-asking, and woo, Jesus, praise God. It was a God thing. Everybody in the church is praising God, God thing. Oh, God's behind it. I'm sitting here going, I just had to pay somebody to take my house, and we're praising God because he got a God thing gift. Guess what they both were? They were both God things. They're both God things. God's just not in the good stuff. He's in all the stuff. All the stuff. God is good. It's who he is. And he's in all circumstances. The good and the bad. In the, the spiritual affliction, in the suffering, guess where God is? He's in the midst of that. He's right in there with you. In the, in the incredible times of joy, he's right in there with you. So, so if you got the promotion at work, And you're like, yeah, God's in it. He's given you a new platform to show people what it looks like to live from a follower of Christ's perspective, to be a blessing to those you get to lead, and that's incredible. And if you got canned on Friday, God's in that too. He's given you an opportunity to demonstrate who God is in the midst of circumstances that are terrible. If you're a student... And, and, and you're, you didn't make your sports team, and you're de- deflated, and you're going, okay, I, I didn't make it. I, I don't understand why. Why did I get cut? Or maybe you, you, you have some kind of injury, and all of a sudden, it's like, I had a dream of being a high school athlete, and now I blew out my knee, and that's all over. God abandoned me. No, he didn't. He's right in it with you. He, he's right there with you. He wants to walk with you right there with you. Circumstances are a liar about God's goodness. They will lie to you, and your heart will say, God can't be trusted. But that's not true. Why? Jesus. Jesus promised what? He, he, Jesus promised rainbows and unicorns. No! No! He does not. He never promised you a rainbow or a unicorn. He promised you suffering. For those of us who who follow Jesus, that's the promise. It's presence. I'm gonna be with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Life is hard, but God is good. That is true. That is true. Some days it's great. Some days it's awesome, But, but some days it's not. So what's our next step? It's to move from knowing about it to living it. And it's to move this this truth of this victory song into our hearts and minds and we remind ourselves of what is true. And so this weekend, we wanna encourage you that, that as you walk into this weekend, this week, that we would celebrate, that you would give yourself the space to celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Give yourself the space to do that that you would engage in the live it out. It's a it's a daily discipleship guide and in our next series our next step is going to be live it out. And and for those of you who have been around Two Rivers Church for a while, you know that we made a shift this past year that we've that we now have Tim Buar serving as our discipleship pastor and some of you are waiting for the discipleship program. It's already in place, by the way. I'm going to let you in a little secret. The discipleship program is called Live It Out. That's our program. That's the program. To put God's word into motion in your life, to take what you learn, to move it from your head to your heart to your hands, to put it into motion. And so we've given you a guide that, that, that we're totally committed to, making it simple, daily, and doable. Why those three words? Why simple, daily, and doable? Because those three words changed my life. When I discovered that that there's tools in the world that can help me take God's word and put it into daily action in my life, my life changed forever. And so we're committed to making this simple and doable, but only you can make it daily. All we can do is give you the plate, but you got to eat. I can't make you eat. We can't make you eat. You got to eat on your own. And then with others. And so this week, you have a chance, Good Friday, a chance to remember. It's just an opportunity for us to come together and to remember the crucifixion of Christ and the implications therein. And then an opportunity to invite people to go on the journey. The journey of what? Of following Jesus. Of hearing the truth of who Jesus is and the the life-transforming presence that he brings. And so there's invite cards, and, and we would encourage you to invite, invite people. Next weekend, a great opportunity, to invite people. In fact, even now, no matter where you are, what venue you're in, grab your phone. This isn't a trick, okay? Not a trick at all. Grab your phone, and, and if there's somebody that you've been... Considering maybe there's a name on your mind that you would say, okay, I have a person that I think I'd like to invite, or somebody that that I've been praying for, or maybe a name has just come to your mind. There's somebody that you could invite to an Easter service. We want to encourage you to text them right now. We're not even kidding, like right now. (laughs) Think about how powerful it would be to, to hear this, to hear, hey, put in whatever name, I'm sitting here in church. You came to mind that you would just type that out. I have somebody that I'm going to send this to. Next weekend is Easter, and I want to invite you to come to church with me. I go to whatever service time. You could invite them to. I go to whatever service time, whatever venue, whatever campus, wherever you are. I could meet you here. What do you think? Think how powerful that could be to somebody right now that they could get that and they would know that God brought them to your mind as you were in a worship service. That 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 person's name came to your mind. Think about how powerful that is. So don't, don't wait till Tuesday. Do it now. Like right now. And then, and then say, okay, I'll meet you. I'll make it easy. What, what do you think? Is that something you, that you would do? The, the research would show that, that when it comes to attending church, that, that people, if they're asked, would go. If somebody cares enough to say, would you go with me, that, that people would be like, if they have any kind of spiritual interest, that they would go. And especially around holidays, that they would say, okay, yeah, I, I guess. I don't have a church home. Okay, I could, I could do that. And now that I know you, I, I, I would go with you. Now what we're going to do, though, is we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate a God who's good, who's proved it, who's proved it in Jesus. And if we have new life in Christ, we've got a reason to sing, okay? We have a reason to worship. We have a reason to worship through song. We have a, a, a reason to declare God's praise. And so I'm going to invite you to every venue, go ahead and jump to your feet. Uh, here and live, jump to your feet, let's, let's go, All right, Because when it comes to worship, this isn't passive, this is active, an opportunity for us to declare with our heart and our minds, our heart and minds, through our mouths, the goodness of God. God, in this moment, would you remind us of just how good you are, that you can be trusted, and Jesus is proof of that as we declare your praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.